Well, this morning we're going to finish our series on the topic called Paradigm Shift. And I've been mentioning to you a paradigm shift by definition is simply taking the lens that you've been using to interpret life and adjusting it so it more accurately reflects reality. Noticing that perhaps there were some imaginary things or some things you were, have been tricked about that aren't true, setting those aside, being done with them and saying, wait a minute, God actually has a more accurate view that he wants me to, to look through so that I can get through life, navigate the troubles successfully. That's a paradigm shift. And um, just because I like pictures, I've got a couple of ones. This is for you, Wildfire, because you may have never seen these before. Some of us who've been around for a while probably have seen these. But I'm going to ask you guys, how many of you can see the bird? How many of you can see the bunny? Can you see the bunny? How, how, anybody still looking for the bunny? Can you see it? You can't. Okay, good. Okay, that's, that's a paradigm shift. You're, you're looking at it differently than you were the first time. Okay, that's kind of, it's a perspective issue. It's not that anything has actually changed. Our perspective changed, right? Okay, I got another one for you. This one, again, these are older than the hills, but they're still pretty clever. Okay, what do you got? Old lady? Yeah. Anybody see the old lady? Okay, how about the young lady? Do you see the young lady? That's her chin instead of her nose. <laughs> Anybody still looking for it? Okay, Humberto. So her chin is that pointy thing going down, and that's her cheekbone. And she's actually looking off to the side like this. You see that? Okay, here's another paradigm shift. You know, like when a, a chick grows up inside the egg and everything is just warm and cozy and mother hens nesting and keeping her warm and cozy. And Chickie's thinking, this is my world. Oh, it is so awesome. Look, at I get to live in this really confined space. And it's all gooey and yolky and everything. And it's like wonderful. And then suddenly... The chick has this urge to start pecking. It knows not why, but it just begins pecking, 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 pecking. Suddenly breaks out of the shell, a brand new world. That's a major paradigm shift, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So the reason I wanted to use that terminology and that imagery is because when we're dealing with the forces that are coming against us, namely the spiritual forces, the devil, demons, awful thoughts, darkness, and all of those forces of darkness that are present in the world, we need to know how to fight back and win. We need to know how to, to really fight the enemy on his turf and be victorious. And so um, this passage that we're using in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 is really one of the, I think, the, the most useful passages in the Bible to put Christianity to work. But before we go there, let me talk about a paradigm shift that I went through. Uh, when I was about 19 years old, any 19-year-olds in the room? Probably not on this side. How about over here? Anybody 19? 18? 20-ish? Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. So I was going to junior college. I was at Golden West College, and um, I've shared many times, very shy, and I had a hard time talking to people. And so between classes, I went to classes mostly in the middle of the day. Um, I'd walk through the quad. You know, the quad is where everybody stops and has lunch and congregates and gathers. And, <clears throat> and usually, because I was so frightened of people, I would just like bolt through, carrying my books, you know, and I just kind of one corner to the other to get to my next class. And after doing that for literally a couple of years, didn't have many friends at all. This girl just sitting at a table, a couple of girls said, there goes stuck up. And I went, what? 
it just shocked me that my fear and intimidation of people was being interpreted as being snobby. And I, I was shocked, and so I immediately just spun around and said, what? you got to be kidding me. And I sat down. I said, hi, my name's Alex, and I was just in a hurry. I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to avoid anything or anybody. Suddenly, I became very talkative. It's like, who is this person? And it was pretty exciting. But that was a major paradigm shift. I realized that, A, people aren't as scary as I thought they were, and B, I just need to lighten up a little bit. You know, I had to just, like, shift the way I see myself, the way I see other people, and the way I, I kind of navigate life. It was a real breakthrough moment. And from that point, I, I actually began to start talking to people and making more friends because somebody misinterpreted what was going on inside me, my motives, and called me on it. And that was a real wake-up call. You see, it's stuff like that that God can use to set us free. Even things that sound like an attack at first, they're often just a wake-up call to say, you're not seeing through the right lens. You know, some Christians blame everything on the devil. And they think it's because of this outward outside-in oppression, which does occur. It's real, a lot. But as Paul points out here, a lot of the trouble is right between our ears. It's he injects ideas and thoughts and perspectives that we just totally buy into. Like, I'm no good. My failures of the past are going to haunt me forever. I have no hope, no future. Those kinds of things, the enemy, are way more effective than some kind of scary, demonic dragon breathing fire around our lives. So I want to talk about the final two pieces of armor, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. All right. Here's what Paul says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. And I want to say it again. All six pieces of armor, if you take a look at the wording, have to do with what's going on right up here. The first one, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of declared righteousness. God in Christ has said you're forgiven, you're free, you're clean. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, belief system, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All right, let's take a look at those last two, and we're just going to get real practical, put them to work, and go to town here. And my hope is that at the end of the series, you will have drawn the conclusion that you can take a little bit more charge of your life, and especially what's going on up here, and that you can take a little more authority and have a little bit more confidence when things are coming against you, because there are real circumstances, real people who actually do real things to harm us or to move us in the wrong direction. But as far as what it causes and creates on the inside, that is totally under your control. And it's not always the devil. It could just be you buying into something not true. So let's take a look at the first one, the helmet of salvation. This is a particular kind of helmet. Again, we're looking at the image of a soldier. He's got metal, probably bronze in those days, uh, because that's about the bronze age in the early days of, of Christianity. And so he's got this steel helmet to guard against, you know, missiles, spears, swords, everything that he might get bonked on the head with by his opponent. But it's a particular kind of 
helmet. He says it's a helmet of the Greek word is soteria. Soteria is the word where we get salvation. It simply means to be preserved, to be safe, to be delivered. So if you think about a helmet as a protection, not against you know, rocks or bombs or swords or darts, but against things that are not true. Like, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know if I'm going to make it to heaven. I kind of go in and out. I waffle a lot. And I'm, I'm unsure. I'm feeling condemned. Putting on the helmet of salvation says, I'm going to put on a helmet that protects me with these facts. These are facts about me. When I gave my life to Christ, God says, this is what he gave to me. He's promised to preserve my life. I do have a hope and a future. I am protected in him. Even when everything around me is going nuts. I am safe. I have been delivered. That's a fact. Paul says we learn to walk in our deliverance by faith. You have to like act as if it's true. And then do things that look like you believe it's true. And that's all in here. Follow through with action. And it's not always like, oh, I just feel so saved today. Feelings are not reliable. They're just like up and down and in and out. And it's important that we know, okay, my feelings are telling me something. This makes me sad. They're great indicators, feelings are, but they're not great masters. I feel sad, therefore I'm just going to go in a hole and suck my thumb all day in a dark room. That's not a good response to sadness. If there's a cause, then let's figure out what it is. Yeah, it's real emotion. I need comfort. I need someone to hold me, perhaps. Talk it out with somebody, sure. But I can't let it direct my life. Make sense? So Paul's saying, wear that helmet. It's a fact to be driven by the facts. From God's vantage point, from God's perspective, not the things that you see, think, and feel in the human side. I remember um, when I was about 10 years old, I would, uh, was walking to school. It was Arroyo Elementary School in Pomona, California. And I had about a 1.3-mile walk. My mom did it on her odometer once because I was always complaining. It's a 10-mile walk, Mom. I can't do it anymore. So she drove me in the car and said, no, it's 1.3, honey. You'll live. So every day I'd walk back and forth to school. And um, there's this one yard. This neighbor had, you know, that four-foot chain-link fence around the front yard. And there was a very good reason for that. Um, there was a bulldog. Remember? You know bulldogs, right? They got that kind of look. They're just scary looking. I mean, even if they're friendly, they're just scary, you know, and they're slobbering, their lips are all weird and everything. And so anyway, this, this bulldog, every time I started coming up to the yard, in fact, I'll remember the first time, he just went, and just came charging toward the fence. It just completely freaked me out. I didn't realize the first time he was on a chain tied to the tree in the center of the yard. And he acted like he was just going to bust through the fence, bust through the chain and everything else. But sure enough, every time, he'd go, rah, 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 and right at the fence, fence, his back feet would come out from under him, and he'd choke himself, fall on his back, and he'd stand there and bark. He seemed to forget on a daily basis that he was chained. And I could tell you, man, the first couple of times, it happened, even the second and third, I kind of go, you never know, that thing could break any moment, you know. But he just was, ah, and it freaked me out. And so I would stop or walk across the street and go around just in case. And then I realized that chain's not going to break. And he's going to probably do this every day I pass by. But guess what? I'm just going to ignore him. I'm just going to walk on my merry way, maybe laugh at him a little bit. Nah, 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 maybe, you know. 
a little something like that, because I, I had to adjust my paradigm to match the facts. The facts were he had no way of getting a hold of me. It was really very cool. Again, it was one of the kind of those confidence-building moments for a 10-year-old boy. Those are the kinds of things we have to do, and it takes work. It took me several trips past that yard before I really bought into the fact that he can't get me. So if you and I will remember, okay, the helmet of salvation is something you actually work on and change the way you think so it matches reality from God's point of view. So here's a good way to put that to work. Um, first thing you do when you get up in the morning, no matter what's going through your head, it can be good, bad, or indifferent, but a lot of times mornings are hard for a lot of people. Getting started, getting the engine cranked up is like, oh, not another day. It's not very you know, encouraging, looking forward. And so you can really go downhill before you even put your feet on the floor. Anybody ever have that problem? Yeah, I, I remember a um, little thing I read. Um, a guy's praying, he's laying in bed, and he goes, oh, I just gave it away, never mind. <laughs> Lord, I'm so thankful that today I have not sinned, I haven't lusted after anybody, I haven't stolen anything, I haven't cussed, I was on time, I didn't procrastinate. Now, Lord, when I get out of bed, I pray. You know, bless me and help me. So, Anyway, sometimes we have a hard time getting started. And so it's really critical that you take charge of your mind right at that moment, as soon as you possibly can. That's why going to bed with good things on your mind is really critical, because it's often the first thing you'll think of, or at least it'll be in the mix. You know, watching horror movies till midnight might be a little tough for somebody. You know, watching some salacious drama, you know, might be a little tough on the wake-up call. So anyway, go to bed with some good stuff, but, but have like a little arsenal of, Lord, I'm thankful that you made this day. I'm looking forward to the good things you have in store for me. That's, that's my prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the good things you have in store for me today. That it's going to be good, not a horror show. It's going to be good. That takes practice. It takes work. You got to put stuff in that brain in order to have that stuff come out of that brain. Very practical. There's a... Uh, there's a law now in the state of Washington, maybe many states across the country, that I just absolutely hate. It's the bicycle helmet law. You know? Bicycles and helmets don't go together, in my opinion. And I know, because you're a parent, of course. If you have a kid, of course, you know? But I grew up, man, riding bikes all over the county when I was, you know, up till the age of probably about 18 years old before I got rid of my last bike. And then I moved up here, and they made the helmet law. I'm going, that's just so, I hate bicycle helmets. But the beauty is, I have no conflict because I have no bike. So it really, it really doesn't bother me anymore. But not really, for the kids' sake, I know. I'm just having fun. But one thing I do like is the seatbelt law because I do have a car. And I decided a long time ago, I'm not sure about you, but sometimes, or when I was younger, I used to drive with no seatbelt. It's like, come on. We never had seat belts when I was growing up. You know, you'd be in the big old Plymouth, and you, you know, on, on the corners, you'd slide across the back seat because your dad was turning too sharp. You'd slide back, you know. Yeah, or you do it on purpose in high school, you know. It was fun. But, it, but seat belts today, I know I could die, not because I'm a bad driver, but because there are a lot of other bad drivers out there. I know that if I get pulled over, that's an expensive ticket, man. I'm just, so I decided. I'm just going to go by the facts that seatbelts are required. I'm going to act as if that's my new reality. And guess what? So I just don't drive without a seatbelt anymore. I just made a decision. The same is true about putting on this helmet of salvation. You've got to find out what are the facts that really are going to breathe life into you 
Find out what God says, what's the promise, and get into memorizing it. Get into your spirit, your soul, your brain, out of your mouth, and everywhere else. Um, there's a verse in Philippians 4.8. If you don't have verses memorized, this is a really good one. I mean, make up a little song. It'll help you memorize it. In fact, let's say it all out loud together. You ready? Come on. Wildfire, jump in. Here we go. Ready? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. There you have it. Write that down. Put it into your device and uh, start memorizing that one. All right, and the final weapon, the final piece of armor, Paul calls the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, generally, the pieces that we talked about so far have been mostly defensive weapons, you know, from enemy attack. This one is probably generally used, not always, but for offense. Offense, going after somebody. Right? This is like, okay, you attack me, I attack you, is what the soldier had in mind when he pulled out his sword. And so we have to recognize that, that weaponry often means going on the offense. It's not always like, oh, run from the devil, run from the temptation. Oh, no, 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 back, back. Sometimes we just got to go, I'm going to go do some right things, and that way I won't have time for temptation or for any kind of attack in my brain or emotions or oppression. I'm just going to go get busy about the things of God. And that's why at RCC, we spend a lot of time going outside these four walls. Over at Northwood, Fairwood Apartments, Trunk and Treat, ministering to the neighbors, even selling fireworks. Yeah, it's a fundraiser, but man, half of the customers or more are people who aren't part of our church or, or not Christians. We just want to have influence in their lives. It's an offensive weapon. That's why we have a lot of opportunities to serve, because you have a chance to just sort of get busy doing things and you stay out. You know what? That's a good saying. You stay out of trouble. Idle hands of the devil's workshop. Another way to say that is, um, it's coming. It's coming to me. Oh, yeah. When people ask me, how are you doing? I said, I've been really busy, but it keeps me out of trouble. It's true. Okay, so being on the offense is really important, especially when you recognize that the word of God Paul calls it your offensive sword. It's like you go out and take care of business. And it's not just knowing the Bible here, but it's speaking it out. It's saying, this is what's true. And a lot of times my prayer is just me talking to Alex. Alex, you're going to be fine. God's going to be there with you. Don't receive the pressure. Don't let that criticism tear you down. Take the constructive part, but the stuff that hurts your feelings, just let it go. I'm talking to myself based on what I know God says in here. You know, without speaking the word of God out loud, a lot of battles are lost. In fact, there's a story, you probably have heard of it, I know you have, it's David and Goliath, and uh, I'll take the next one, Janet. You know, David and Goliath, um, I, I really believe if David had spoken the word of God to Goliath, I'm not sure he would have won that battle. Think about it, 15, 16-year-old teenager, he's got a little pouch with rocks and a sling, okay? He's never encountered a giant this size before, he's He's encountered a bear, took him out. Encountered a lion, protecting a sheep, took him out. So he's got a little bit of you know, history and practice, but not like the warrior of the century standing across from him. So I have a feeling that when David began to speak to his enemy, he was also talking to himself. And here's what he said. 
David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. What has he done? He's identified as boss. I'm coming to you in the name of my God, Lord of the armies of Israel. Let's move on. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. That's awfully gutsy. I'm thinking he really had to have a strong sense that God had been speaking to him all his young life, that he'd been kind of collecting the word of God in his heart. He wrote songs and psalms, so it's kind of like part of who he was now. So to make that kind of declaration probably took him a lot of repetition, a lot of practice. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Holy mackerel. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Is there one more, or is that it? That's it. That's it. The spoken word, there's power in that. Some of you were around back in the day when uh, the theme positive confession was the big deal. Like, you gotta, you got to say it, and then, uh, wait, what was the word? Name it and claim it, yeah. Name it and claim it, yeah. If I can name a promise, then I can claim the promise and God's required to obey me, you know, kind of do what I want. We found that pretty quickly. That's not true. There's two sides of the story. Yeah, he loves when we speak in faith, but he also says, by the way, I am sovereign. You're not going to boss me around. I do make the final call. And uh, at times I'll put something into your heart and mind and a vision. And when you speak it out, I'll make it happen. But I started the whole process in the beginning. And I just wanted you to participate so you could know that I'm real. So once we have a relationship with God, we begin to kind of hide his word in our heart. And we start saying things. There is power in confessing the truth of God's word. Lord, I am forgiven. Even though 45 minutes ago I sinned against you. Time may need to pass sometimes, but I'm just going to stand on your word. I'm forgiven. I confess. I'm clean. You still love me. It's not over for me. I didn't backslide beyond repair. Speaking the word, positive confession really does have power, especially in helping us to buy into this new paradigm where Jesus is Lord of all, where God is in control. First book, I'm sorry, first Bible verse I ever memorized. We had a um, small group called Young Guns. Any of you guys, were you ever part of that band? Did you come to Young Guns once in a while? Marcel, remember Young Guns? Oh, yeah. Right, you guys came. Um, Young Guns, and I I, I shared at the very beginning of our small group, um, guys, one of the things that will change your life is if you start memorizing Scripture and uh, declaring things that are true. And so I I share with them the very first verse that I memorized, Joshua 1.8, and um, you really can't improve on statements like this. This is about as good as it gets. When God is speaking to Joshua, he's talking about all of the word of God, the book of the law, and we know it now as Old and New Testament, so everything in there. And he says it this way, keep this book of the law always on your lips. That means talk. Say words. Let people hear you. Let yourself hear with your own ears. Meditate on it day and night. That means Ruminate. The word meditate actually means to ruminate. Like when, when sheep eat grass, do you know they have like five stomachs? They eat, they spit it back up, and they chew the cud. That's what cud is. It's like regurgitated grass about five times, and then it finally goes down. They get all the nutrients out of it that they possibly can. So that you may be careful to, what? 
Do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. And of course, it's not just about money. I think it's about all facets of life. Prosperity in relationships, in ministry, in success, in your struggles, success in your business, success in family, raising kids, and successful and prosperous in all those ways. That, to me, is taking the sword of the Spirit as an offensive weapon and just on a daily basis putting it into practice. It's changed my life. I know it can change yours because God is faithful. God will live up to his word and his promises. One final angle on this sword of the Spirit, it is also used as a defensive weapon. Anybody ever been a fencer? Have you ever, you know, on God, really? Very cool, that's a hard sport. Those swords are heavy. I've tried it once, it's like, ugh, I'm worn out. Anyway, fencing, obviously, you know, you're on the defensive end of that. Judy, did you try that once? Yeah. You know, you're, you're blocking, you're blocking the, the swipes and the sword of, of your opponent a lot of times. And so, pardon, parry, parrying, yeah. Parry. And so uh, we have to recognize there are times when you've got to use the word as a defense. And that's exactly what Jesus did in the wilderness. Remember when Satan came, tempted him three different times? How did Jesus respond to the temptation? It is written. It is written. Satan came with a temptation, a lie, truth wrapped up in a lie, brought it to him. Jesus said, time out. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus used the word as a defense, and we should as well. There are times you have to, because the enemy can be tricky, and you've got to kind of go, wait a minute, what does God say before I respond to that? Yes, you have to know what the enemy might attack you with, where your vulnerable spots are. Uh huh. Yeah. So if, if you're going to continue the fencing analogy, you actually plan out where their next move will be, uh-huh. or what those opportunities might be, and what you can defend with. Very cool. So in the art of fencing, you actually have to think ahead of what and anticipate their next move might be. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow, good analogy. I love it. So one of the things I want to just throw out is, you know, when people come to church in America, generally church is kind of like, oh, this is my defense. I'm here, I'm safe, and I showed up, and God's just going to kind of cover me now because I was in the room. That's like, did my duty, you know, gave a little in the offering and prayed a little prayer. You can't rely on other people or outside events as your defense. Oh, I'm married to an elder in the church, so I'm covered. Or I, my denomination believes this, and so we're good. My pastor preaches that, and that's, and he's right. He's on fire, man. And so, yeah, I'm good. That you, you can't have this um, vicarious relationship with other people and expect the enemy to stay away. You see, the devil knows that the Bible has authority, but the question he's going to ask is, does this Christian have authority? Does this human being actually believe? what God says. Because I believe what God says, but do you? And there's something that has to happen in us where we just gotta go, I know that I know that I know, and I'm not backing down. I don't care how weird you get or how freaky things are or how difficult or challenging or how long it takes. I am not backing down. Go bug somebody else. Guys, hear an amen. Amen. And all of these pieces of weaponry, Paul says, to all of this armor, both defensive and offensive, I want you to pray in the Spirit. 
I want you to pray in the Spirit. It's one of those kind of religious phrases. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, there's so much Christianese going around. People know, I don't, what does that mean? Does that mean you have to be praying in tongues? Uh, does it mean having this like out-of-body experience? Uh, probably not. Maybe tongues. I think what praying in the Spirit really means in the, in the big picture is I'm going to pray as if the Holy Spirit himself were praying. Because the Holy Spirit, lest we forget, is God. He knows the mind of God. He has God's interests absolutely in line with his own. So praying in the Spirit is saying, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit pray through me. Whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, right, God's will be done. You know, I'm not my own. I'm going to die to self and be alive to Christ. I mean, anything you can think of. Take all of these pieces of armor and just kind of pray as if the Holy Spirit were doing the praying through you. As the best you know how, what does God think? What does Jesus think? What is the Holy Spirit saying right now? So praying in the Spirit is not coming upon this list of armor and going, oh, please, please, God, put the helmet on me again. Oh, please, oh, God, would you put, are you listening? Oh, please, put on the shield of faith. Oh, please, God. Does that sound like faith to you? No, it's just, I don't know, it's just whining. You know, whining prayers, we need to whine sometimes. I whine from time to time. But that's not the prayer of faith. That's not praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit, in my opinion, and we'll finish with this, is simply doing what James says. Just pray by faith. Act as if it's true. Wake up in the morning, driving your car to work, coming home after a long day, whatever, saying, thank you, Lord, that if I wear the belt of truth, you're going to keep me safe. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you put on the breastplate of righteousness for me. I am forgiven. Thank you that it's a fact, Lord. It's never going to change. Thank you, Lord God, that I've been shod with the shoes of readiness. That I, If I'm on the alert, if I'm sober and paying attention and planning ahead, I'm going to be capable by your grace to win this battle. It's a matter of praying with confidence again and, and certainty as if the Holy Spirit himself, who is God, who knows the heart and mind of God, only agrees with God, is praying through you, whether that's in English or in any other language. So I'd like to close with this. Um, making this paradigm shift from my current worldview to the one that matches God's, to me it's life and death, or at least it's going to make the difference between a really joy-filled life and successful life and fruitful life or a really depressing one, really constant opposition, constant bummer, constant setbacks, constant sense of I'm not getting anywhere. And um, if nothing else, it's just a lot more fun to live in victory, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah, we, we need to recognize we've been made victors in Christ. We're not victims. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit, who you promised would live in us the moment we said yes to your son. And we thank you, too, Lord God, that we have been given an instruction manual, and uh, you've taught us how to live victoriously. So would you give us, again, just the unction, the motivation to become sharper, more committed to winning the little skirmishes that come our way as well as the major battles. Would you teach us, Lord God, to be kind of on the aggressive side of our Christianity and not passive and not waiting for something to happen, but rather to take authority, to step out, to believe, to speak, and to act as if you really are in charge 
of our lives. We really are safe in your hands. Help us to live with that kind of boldness. And Father, before we say amen, I just want to ask that you would speak to anyone in the room who may have never literally given their lives to you, surrendered to you personally and said, I'm no longer the boss, Jesus Christ, you can be my Lord, my CEO, my boss. Because you promised, Lord, that you would bring salvation. You would bring all of these benefits of being your child as well as eternal life. Lord, we ask that you give us courage to say yes to you in all these areas. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, figure out a way to stay cool today. You can stay here as long as you want. That's air-conditioned in here, so... Otherwise, may God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.